We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're talking about another Nets win today over the Nuggets, 122-120. How are we feeling? The Nets are going for that four seed, Nick, and yeah. I love it. Back-to-back weekends. This weekend, beat the Nuggets, number one seed in the West. Last weekend, beat the Boston Celtics, number two seed in the East. Doing work. We're going to jump into that in plenty more. Make sure you check the Buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, give us a follow on Instagram, at Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But, Jack, where do we start? Nick, I want to ask you, what was the key to this win? Because the Nuggets have been so damn good at home. I think there's something like 30 and 5 or 30. Yep, this now was their sixth loss of the season. Only home. six losses out of 36, and the Brooklyn Nets gave them one of them. You know, things got a little bit shaky in that fourth quarter somewhat, but how did the Nets take care of business? Third quarter. Third quarter was really it. I thought that was probably one of the best quarters of the season from the Nets. Defensively, really crispy. Nick Claxton got called for a ticky-tack foul that probably should have been an offensive foul. Nicole Jokic ends up picking another foul up in the next 30 seconds. Nets have to go small. Going small worked out really well. Defensive rotations were night and day from first half to third quarter. They were just doing a really good job of rotating and helping each other and also understanding who was on the floor for Denver. You know, guys that you can cheat off of, like a Bruce Brown, who, you know, can knock down a three but has a very slow release. So those closeouts are a little bit easier. And they just made plays offensively. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't, you know, scoring the ball at the same rate he has over the course of the last week, but he had a career-high 16 assists, and the ball movement and finding open shooters was huge in this game. Yeah, and the Nets still, you know, shot the ball pretty pretty well overall, 42 of 84. You'll take 50% any day of the week, and you'll certainly take 38.6%, 17 of 44 from three. You know, the, the Nets have just been more consistent on the three ball and more consistent offensively. And as you alluded to, with Spencer Dimwini, 15 points, you know, 16 assists, six rebounds, had a block, had a had a steal, the three turnovers, five of 15 from the field, didn't hit any of his threes, got to the line six times, hitting five of them. But he's important in terms of his facilitation and his playmaking and ball handling. You know, there aren't many guys that can sort of do what he does, and that's why there's an elevated importance and maybe also an elevated level of, you know, I know in the last game, you and I, and, and I was just like, why is he not just like giving the ball to McKay a little bit here? You know, in that fourth quarter, things just got a little bit stagnant again. And we were just like, are we repeating things yet again with the same sort of style of offense or lack thereof? But ultimately, you know, a 5 of 15 game is not something that you want to 
see, but you more than happily take 16 assists. And I think that he is a big reason why the Nets ball movement you know, is the way that it is. He's a, he's a leader in the way that the Nets play offensively. Yeah, when he's getting downhill, penetrating and creating an advantage for himself that leads to a score or a potential, you know, assists or a hockey assist. And you saw that a lot in this game, especially in the first half. You know, a lot of traps on Spencer, hitting clacks on the short roll, clacks making a play, scoring, kicking it out to the corner, whatever it was. You know, that was some successful stuff from Spencer. And, you know, 5 of 15 isn't great. I will say, you know, he complains about a ton of calls with this game. He had a case, especially in that fourth quarter, probably should have attempted, you know, four to six more free throws. But at the end of the day, you know, you're going to get the road whistle. Yeah, and I think I think he's just going to get the Spencer whistle, Nick. Yeah, it just he's seems blacklisted. to me. <laughs> he's certainly on the list of guys like, you know what? Maybe he's going to do a Fran Van Vliet sort of thing and just go, you know, Ben Taylor is an effing asshole or, or whatever, <laughs> and just rip into them and just go, all right, recognize me. Give me some goddamn calls. Give our team some goddamn calls. And maybe Jacques Vaughn has to do it because, you know, you know, Fred Van Vliet played 30 grand for an absolutely awesome tirade. And you might as well just go in on him. So, look, we've seen Sean Marks run into locker rooms after post games, uh, after playoff games. So maybe the Nets got to be a, a little bit more aggressive there. But ultimately, I still think Spencer is having a a really, really positive impact on the team. You know, I know Jacques Vaughn gives us the pleasantries of leadership, IQ and those sort of things, but they actually are true yeah. as well. And you know, getting he's just guys a, in the right spot, just kind of facilitating on the floor and saying like, hey, you come set a screen because I want this switch here. And you saw a lot of that, you know, finger pointing and trying to get guys to understand what the purpose of this play was. Yeah, like getting Cam Johnson on a switch so he could yep. get Michael Porter Jr. on the switch, on, yep. on the screen, sorry, so he can get that sort of switch. So I think there is leadership vocality you know things that you just want out of guys and i think that makes up for his lack of you know all-star you know all nba level talent you know there's certain things the intangibles that you can sort of make yourself better as a as an nba basketball and as an impactful player and i think spencer has that in spades and he's continuing to really impact the team positively even if at times you know there is an elevated burden on his shoulders when it comes to fourth quarter offense yeah, I think he's asked to be in a role that is probably a little bit too much for him. You know, this is a role that would be for a top 10 player. You know, not well, the 17, 18 nets where like D'Lo was injured for a little bit and he was yeah. like, maybe he's the the real all-star on the team. I remember Charles Barkley you know, advocating for him. I remember those days, Nick. Yeah, yeah. They were good days and they're good days now as well. Yeah, I mean, you can see the growth in his game and obviously he probably would have had a lot better day if his three ball was on. That was just kind of some misses that he typically hits. But like you said, you know, this is as good a game you can have shooting five of 15 from the field and always seven from three. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Speaking of growth in his game, and as you alluded to that third quarter, the Nets outscored the Denver Nuggets 37-18. to 18. But speaking of growth in his game, ruined my own segue. Mikhail Bridges, 38 minutes, 7-16 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3, 8 of 9 from the free throw line. I just love those numbers. 3 rebounds, 2 assists, had a steal as well. Only the 1 turnover, plus 2 for his 25 points. I mean, this Mikhail Bridges is becoming like a star player because what you expect from stars is is a level of consistency, efficiency, and impact. And he's obviously one of the best two-way players in the NBA. He's just dropping 25 ball after 25 ball, a 30 ball, a 40 ball. Like, Mikhail Bridges is just doing shit, Nick. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't one of his best games, you know, and that's saying something given he had 25 points. Like, that's that's real growth. Like you said, this is average or maybe even below average. I think, you know, there was times he could have got a little bit more involved. And I think, obviously, the three ball, he missed a couple shots he typically makes. But... Overall, still still a good game. And that goes to show where he's kind of come from as a role player to now being elevated into this star position. No, I think, and the one thing I, I've i said, like I, I love him when he's driving the ball. I love when he gets to the free throw line. I think he's craft around the rim. He could learn maybe a thing or two from Spencer Dinwiddie in terms of the purpose, the poise. The, the scoop layup, I think, is uh, something he should steal just because they're both really lanky guys. And when you yeah. get that extra stride, just kind of sticking your arm out is going to get you free throws or an easy layup. I mean, Seth Curry had a bloody scoop layup today. So, like, Seth, he could. Seth balled out. I give yeah. Seth a hard time. We'll get to him in a little bit, though. We will. We will. We'll focus on uh, Brooklyn Bridges for, for a little bit longer. But yeah, I think that's the one area where, and look, I still think he is very, very close to being a three level scorer. His mid range game, you know, he got Jamal Murray on, on some switches and on post ups. And I'm just like, look, Jacques Vaughn, again, he, he said that he doesn't like the, the mid range game and, and those sort of things a couple of games ago. But it's an efficient shot for Mikael Bridges, especially as a Brooklyn net. He's just hitting mid and middies and middies like he's Kawhi Leonard KD 2.0 but yeah not his best game but still a very very important game and the fact that the starters were all able to contribute and as well as getting some some chipping in from the bench as well the the bench other than the Nerlens Noel Nick and the nine-man rotation I think was was quite positive from Shark Vaughn who should we get to next was it yeah I just want to touch him I got to give Mikel just credit on two more things one you mentioned the ISO on Jamal Murray where he backed him down and hit the fadeaway like that's a go-to bucket that's a tough bucket to hit and that's something that you know the Nets could potentially go to down the stretch especially if there's a matchup they like and then another skill that he has that's really stuck out especially when driving is his ability to control his body 
sometimes he'll euro step and almost lean backwards so his body is almost under the rim and still able to get the shot off and that's going to either get him layups or free throws and i think those are areas you can see that can help build him to that next tier of score like you mentioned you know three level scoring i think we'll say the mid-range is 100 complete the three-point and the layup package still have room for improvement but there's a lot of confidence that he can potentially get to really good or maybe even elite in one of those categories I can't remember where I saw it, and maybe this stat has been updated since, you know, towards the end of the game, but, like, Mikael Bridge is, like, 6 of 14 on pull-up threes as a Brooklyn Net. He like, had another one in this game, and I think he missed one in this game. And, that like, you take 50% any day of the week, Nick, yeah. 6 of 14 is pretty close to 50%. Look, it's it, he's he's turning into something, and we are loving the growth and maturation. But, Nick, what a first half from Nick Claxton. 18 points, 7 of 7 from the field, 4 of 4 from the free throw line. Was only able to impact the, the scorer's board a, a couple more times. He'd have 5 assists to go with his 20 points overall. 6 rebounds, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, as I alluded to. And in those 6 rebounds, 3 of them were offensive. Clax City. Yeah, uh, Clax offensively, like I mentioned, really active in the short roll. You saw him kind of kick out a couple passes, get those assists, but also had a beautiful pump fake in this game that led to an easy dunk. Also, another rotation from Jamal Murray hit him with a pump pump fake, got an easy dunk. Like, Clax is playing a lot more under control in those situations, and you really saw him excel. And this might even be closer to a 30-point game if he doesn't get in foul trouble and the Nets, you know, decide to go to small ball. And I think I like what Jacques Vaughn did in this game. He he elected to put DFS and, Roy, and Royce on. On Jokic most of the game and have Clax on Aaron Gordon, allowing Clax to roam a little bit while also, you know, giving Jokic a more physical presence in, you know, Royce and DFS. And Jokic still got his, but he had to earn it. Yeah, I think ultimately the what you want to do to those star players is give them unpredictability on the yep. defensive end. And having guys the likes of DFS, Royce O'Neal, Nick Claxton, to a very lesser extent, Neil as well, just like different bodies, different looks to throw at him, it's going to make him go, okay, what do I have to do here? Nikola Jokic is an incredibly smart player and, and had his own, but ultimately, you know, they got the they got the loss here. And, and that's the only stat that really does matter. Yes, he's an MVP contender and there's all, all the discourse happening around that. We're not getting into that. But tonight, I still think it's about the quality and how how much how hard do you make it for him, as you alluded to, Nick. You know, when you do it to a, a, a Luca and stuff, and, and and just these star players, how much energy you're exerting out of him, and you can exploit Nikola Jokic in a lot of ways yeah. by because his defense is subpar to say the least. Because if you attack him, then you just got so many different openings, and I think that's what allowed the Nets to be more positive offensively because you can exploit him on the defensive end. He's otherworldly offensively, but defensively, it leaves a lot to be desired. Whereas we have a defensive unit, while the stats don't reflect it, that has a guy like Nick Claxton and has really positive players like DFS, Cam Johnson, Royce O'Neal, and Spencer Dimmy to a lesser extent. So that's where I think the game plan seemed to be really positive and, and a lot of credit goes to Jacques Vaughn. You know, we, we've said plenty of bad things about him, but we give credit where credit is due. And I think that the game plan was solid tonight. Yeah, I thought this was a really good game from Jacques Vaughn. Like you said, you know, we give him a hard time in the past, but we'll give him credit when he has a good game. And I thought he did a nice job in the second half tightening rotations. Like I mentioned, that third quarter, that was different. And really, Jokic had an easier time scoring on Clax and Noel rather than DFS and Royce. And I think Jokic was a little fatigued. He also played 39 minutes in this game, and he missed two shots late. You know, they were tough shots, but we've seen him knock them down, especially in the clutch. I think they talked about him having some of the best clutch numbers in the NBA. 
That he, he has the best clutch numbers in the NBA because as you've alluded to, he doesn't take a heap of shots normally. And mm. if you're forcing him to become a shooter and you're forcing, you know, you're doubling him. I thought the Nets did really good job. Uh, and I think a lot of that goes to the players. Like you were seeing like Joe Harris go down on doubles. You're seeing Spencer Dimity go down on doubles. And I think that takes obviously a good game plan, but a good execution of the game plan too. Yep. So smart players making smart plays, just reading the game really well. And, and I, and I think that that's why the Nets got this win. And, was it the bet? We said this the other day, Nick. Was this maybe the best win of the season yet again? We're, we're just throwing new wins after new wins after new wins as, as the best one. This was pretty bloody great. Yeah, I mean, a 28-point 28, a 28 comeback in Boston is is hard to top. But obviously, like we mentioned early on, they had five home losses before this game. So this is really tough to go on the road in Denver with the elevation and put it together and close out a close game. Like, this is a game that Denver made a big run in that fourth quarter and got it tight, where the Nets were up 14-15 in the fourth, and they held on. And I think that says a lot about the team. You know, a lesser team falls flat and ends up losing by two or three in this one. That's all that matters. You know, just just holding on for the win. It doesn't matter how you get it. All that matters is that the Nets are 39 and 29 now, 10 games above 500. You know, Katie's given us that cushion, but I think the Nets doing a really good job. I think in the, the Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges here is now six and seven. So you take that, you take around 500, just 15 games to go, keep moving. But Nick, should we get to the rest of the stars before we jump into the bench or do you want to jump into the bench first? Yeah, let's go to DFS. We thought I thought I had probably his best game as a net. Four steals, Nick. One block. Had an assist. I, I start with the four steals because I think that equals or even exceeds a career high for him. 15 points, all of them three-pointers. You know, we, we say DFS can be streaky, and I know you the other day got a little bit of flack for DFS not being as impactful as he wanted, but maybe he saw your timeline. He, yeah. he just like, man, I'm just going to shut this guy up. I'm going to put five or seven up. I'm going to get my career high in steals. I'm going to get a block, and I'm going to ball out. Yeah, I mean, maybe he did. I'll happily tweet at anybody on the team if they're going to play better and have their best game in a Nets uniform. And that's what he did. And it wasn't just the shooting. You know, five of seven is obviously awesome. But you mentioned the four steals and also just his ability to really just annoy Jokic. You could tell he was just kind of annoying him. And he did a nice job of being really active on those entry passes. And that's what led to a couple of those steals and just ultimately helped the team win. And I think Jacquemont did a nice job of using DFS's versatile skill set. Yeah, team-winning plays. You know, he's a guy, him and Royce are guys that are better at guarding stronger and going above a position. I think DFS is probably better than Royce at guarding down a position, but I think Clax is probably better than both of them at guarding down a position, as is Mikael Bridges in that respect. So you have utilizing the defensive strengths of these players. Uh, Jacques Vaughn is, is becoming more attuned to that, and, and that's a credit to him. And a credit to DFS for... Yeah. Despite the fact, you know, I'm, I'm surprised to see who's at minus 15, but I think a lot of that probably came in the the comeback in that fourth quarter where yep. DFS was probably out there. So can be somewhat noisy, but uh, overall, you know, he was a, a really, really, really impactful player for the Nets tonight. And a big reason why they got the W. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the way he played. And obviously, hopefully the three-point shooting can stay hot moving forward. Uh, I guess you want to finish off the starters with Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson, 5'11 from the field for his 29 minutes, 2 of 6 and 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. Filled the, the box score up a little bit with four rebounds, two assists, two steals, plus 13 for his 14 points. Cam can either be, it's like, I think having the depth with DFS, with Cam, with Royce, those sort of guys, you just sort of go, okay, one if, as long as you get maybe two of the three of those guys chipping in, then you're going to be pretty well off. And as long as the third guy doesn't, 
you know, impact you negatively, which I don't think Cam Johnson did. Um, and, and thank God he didn't get hit in the face again for however many games straight um, that, that, that streak was going. But yeah, a, a nice enough game from Cam Johnson. Yeah, I think it was a solid game. I think uh, obviously you'd like to see him improve probably his ability to attack the rim. He had a one-on-one with Jokic and he ended up getting blocked. I think he could do a better job in some of those situations. But like I talked about in a previous pod, I think he's really still feeling out being a starter and more of a focal point of a team. You know, obviously his role has changed from coming over from Phoenix. And I think we'll see a bigger jump in his game, hopefully over the summer into next year. But there is positive. I think at times... The Nets could look to involve him a little bit more, but he also could look to be a little bit more aggressive. Not as much tonight, but looking at the Timberwolves game, I thought he could have done a better job of attacking, you know, Mike Conley or some of these lesser defenders. But that's going to come with confidence. Not, yeah, I, and comp- Conley's not a lesser defender. He's just small. Exactly. And and we heard like a, a few rumors here or there around Cam Johnson and, and the contract that he's looking for, 18 to sort of $22 million. You know, if the Nets are able to acquire him in that, we might Sign have a discussion. Up. Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll have a discussion of that in the future. As for now, we'll get to the rest of the bench, guys. Nick, who do you think made the biggest impact off the bench? Because you could make an argument for maybe all three of the guys, You know, obviously discounting Nerlens Noel. Yeah, I think Royce O'Neal, just given he played the largest chunk of minutes, but probably in like a per-minute basis, Joe Harris was really good. You know, those threes that came in the fourth quarter were impactful, but you could say the same about Seth. I thought, like you mentioned early on, everyone off the bench was awesome other than Nerlens Noel. And Noel, I'm still giving a pass because I don't think the team has practiced yet. No, he's he's finding his way in in terms of the Nets' defensive style. I think that's where he needs to to make the biggest impact. But yeah, Royce O'Neal, 4-9 from the field, 3-7 from 3. Looks so much better when he's uh, finding the ball there and, and hitting that 3-ball. 6 rebounds, 4 assists. His playmaking is something that we see in spurts. And he had a nice lob to, I think it was Clax at, at one point. I think it was him. And that was just a, a really positive play when he got doubled for some reason. But yeah, a really nice play from Royce. And he, he's been really solid of late. I think that there's been some streaky shooting performances. His last but... three games, Jack, have been really good. I have the stats in front of me. I pulled it up before. It. Uh, against Houston, 11 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals. Friday against the Timberwolves, 12 points, 15 rebounds, 2 assists, 3 steals. Today, 11 points, 4 assists, 6 rebounds, and just playing good basketball. And he, he's, I think, really found his role off the bench with this team. And that's a credit to him. You know, it sort of reminds me a little bit of like Bruce Brown and the the days of Steve Nash where it was like, is he starting? Is he playing? Is he even going to get minutes? But Royce O'Neal is, you know, he had his teething issues being acclimated to, you know, behind the scenes. But I think he was really, really positive and he's continuing to be really positive in this stretch going forward. He's been an important part of the Nets' success going forward. But Seth Curry, Nick tonight, 19 minutes, 5-8 from the field. We've been a little bit tough on him, 1-3 from 3. But he hit some nice shots, had an assist as well to go with his two rebounds, was plus 7 for his 12 points. Look, if Cam Thomas isn't going to get minutes, then you're going to need a, a double-digit performance from Seth Curry to make me not get angry about no Cam Thomas, I guess. Yeah, and an efficient one. 5 of 8, 62% from the field. You'll take that. I thought uh, Denver had some guys on the floor that he could hide on. And I thought that was important. And also when the team is rotating and helping as well as they did tonight, it's easier to cover up, you know, a, a bad defensive player. So credit him for just doing what he needs to do. I think the backup point guard stuff is still a little bit tough. Obviously, he's a score first type of guy. And you can see that at times with the unit. Yeah, I think that's where you know Jacques needs to stack and maybe Mikhail Bridges a little bit or Royce O'Neal. Those guys can play and make a little bit better than I think Seth Curry can. But yeah, Joe, Har- Joe Harris, Nick, three or six from the field, all of them threes, did also have a steal and an assist, was plus 15 on the night for his nine points. It seems to me that 
while Joe might not be impacting defensively and, and in other facets, the dude is just still a sniper and always will be a sniper. Yeah, he's looking a lot more comfortable, especially coming off screens and understanding like, hey, these are the touches I'm going to get. I have to kind of let loose. He's playing a lot freer. And obviously, maybe some of that's the lack of pressure. We've talked about that a lot of the, over the course of the last couple of years. But hey, it's working out. Similar to Royce, he's found his role on this team. And at points earlier in the season, that wasn't the case. No, and I think role definition is important for guys that aren't your superstars or that aren't your your, your elevated. And that may be dealing with confidence issues because of obviously the ankle. Yeah, confidence within his own body, and I think yeah. he still is probably finding that. He sort of said that to, to Brian Lewis, who he's got some pretty close ties to. We've seen some some leaks around Joe Harris and his agency. So speaking to Brian Lewis about you know him, I'm not finding himself and, and not having the confidence in his body. But even with that, if he can just keep hitting these threes, and that's all you can really ask for, you know, in yeah. the 13 minutes, and Joe Harris is three or six from three and plus 15 and nine points, you, you take that any day of the week. Yeah, I actually thought that there was a case to maybe get him on the floor later in this game uh, over Seth Curry just because he was hitting so well from three and creating that like extra level of pressure given how Denver was playing defense because the Nets generated some good looks from three late in this game. They just weren't able to hit. And that's where you ride the hot hand. You, you yep. sort of go, okay, what, who can create the most amount of spacing late where things do tighten up? And and the Nets, and the, so the Nuggets are really shading a lot on, on Spencer Dimity a lot yep. and his ball handling and his playmaking and his shot making. But ultimately, you know, you, tonight is where you ride, you know, Royce O'Neal, DFS, you know, obviously Mikhail and, and Joe, and, and maybe, you know, Cam Johnson, obviously, uh, as well with Spencer Dimity. So I think that there's the combinations late where you go to a sort of six, seven man sort of rotation, maybe Clax's comes in and out and, and claxes if he's not in that sort of foul trouble. But yeah, it, it's good to have those guys have those have those luxuries up your sleeve. Yeah, and just a couple more notes from this game. Uh, Denver obviously dominated the boards, had 15 offensive boards, but seven of them came in the first quarter. So the team really bounced back, I think, in that second half. And then assist-wise, 32 assists on, what do we say, 42 made field goals. Really good team basketball, and you love to see. And it wasn't just like your typical drive and kick. There was a lot of drive, kick, move, move, then shot. And that's just kind of what you want to see from a team that doesn't have a superstar that has a lot of good players. Yeah, and, and that's what you just, just good team basketball, efficient team basketball. And this is the sort of night that is is emblematic of what you want to see out of the Nets going forward. But uh, any other game notes, Nick, before I want to quickly touch on, on, on the race with the sort of four, five, six, where the Nets are now firmly entrenched. Yeah, I'll just say eight turnovers on 32 assists, really good. And that They're taking a- care of the ball super well of late. Yeah, and that's a skill of Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I think yeah. we talked about it in the last game. He had one turnover. How many did he have today, Jack? I think it was three. And three. In, in, he's like led the, when we sort of, he's made his name. He was like the guy, the assisted turnover ratio dude was sort of Chris Paul. And, and that's a skill that he's maintained. Yeah, and also just another note, this is rare to see. The Nets lost points in the paint, second chance points, and fast break points, and still found a way to win this game. Credit them for just finding a way to win, and that's good stuff. But let's get to the playoff talk. So 14 games left, Nick. Gone to Tankathon for the remaining strength of schedule. The Nets have the 21st toughest, or 9th, 10th easiest, however you want to go with that. Uh, But in terms of the teams around them, Cleveland has the easiest, and the Knicks have the 23rd toughest. So it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, injuries will affect here and there, how the Nets go and resting guys, and Jalen Brunson, and Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, and Mobley, who's going to be available. And those two games against the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be massive and 
that that could just really tie the, the net season overall. Obviously, Cleveland have one game against the Sixers. The Nets obviously have one against the Sixers as well. We spoke about the schedule in depth. So if you want to listen to that one, go to the previous episode where we did a real deep dive on that. But how are you feeling about the Nets' chances of maybe getting home court, Nick? You know, uh, 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 is there a chance? Is it viable? Is it realistic? Yeah, I think there's a chance that this was a game we didn't peg as a win, and that's for sure. And now they won this game. You have to say they have a shot next weekend. They play Denver again on Sunday, I think at 3.30 in Brooklyn. So almost the same exact thing going on. So they'll have a shot in that game. But I think what will come down for the fourth seed will be beating Cleveland in those two games. If they beat Cleveland in those two games, they have a real chance to get the fourth seed and host the playoff series, which is not something you anticipate saying when you trade Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And look, I'd be all in for it and I'd be absolutely salivating at the prospect. But one game at a time, Nick. We'll take it one game at a time. And the W tonight certainly helps those prospects. 100%. Always a pleasure, Jack. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.